All right, welcome, listeners, to the sixth episode of Measure Direction. I am Jason Rose, a content strategist here at Digital Surgeons, and I am joined by the leader of our analytics practice, Tom Miller. How's it going, Tom? It's great. How are you doing? Pretty good. Um, so Measure Direction is a, for those of you that are listening for the first time, is a listener-driven podcast where me and Tom answer questions from the audience related to digital marketing strategy and analytics. So you ready to hop right into the first question, Tom? Let's do it. Uh, you want me to get started? Yeah, sure. So a question that I get a lot, and this isn't a single question that we're going to start with, is relates to uh, working as a outsourced resource, right? So in, in our case, as a consultant, um, but as a freelancer, etc. And the question I get is, is when you're when you're practicing analytics as an outsourced resource, how can you best onboard yourself into your client, into your client's organization, and into your client's data sets, right? And, uh, you know, I, I see this, this be, I've had this question asked of me over the years, literally, you know, tens of times, right? And how can you best deal with the fact that you're an outsider Typically, going into an organization, you know, if you're working for a larger company, you're going into a probably highly matrixed organization. The fact that you're working in some aspect of the analytics means that you have a lot of different people with a lot of different motivations around the work that you're doing, right? A lot of different um, stakes that they're holding, right? Yeah. When it comes to what it is that you're actually doing. So how can you best bring bring yourself and your practice and the people that you're working with as outsiders into the fold of whatever organization needs your help? And so, you know, this was largely this question set and this this problem, I guess, was largely the inspiration of a presentation I put together for the eMetrics conference very recently, but by the time we publish this, it'll be several months ago. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. But, ooh, it's a little bit of a joke. But uh, eMetrics in Chicago in you know late June of 2016 for people in the future that are listening to this. And what I talk about is Digital Surgeons, it's our company, our approach to managing our own process, our own work process, which falls under the broader sort of philosophical tenets of the agile approach, right? So we're an agile shop. And we have very specific ways that we approach our work, including onboarding, right? That are inspired by the agile philosophy and, and the principles of an agile, you know, work, uh, work methodology. Yeah, so we should probably take a step back for those. I mean, I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of Agile before, but let's sure. just talk a little bit about the roots. So it more or less originated from software development, yep. where these twelve are these developers came together and created twelve principles that they kind of deemed the Agile manifesto. Yep. So from there, it's kind of so we've adopted a kind of interpretation of Agile that builds on this original manifesto and kind of a focus on creating your work in stories and in two-week sprints so that you kind of you focus on the outcomes of these two-week sprints that you kind of fail fast and fail quickly and then can iterate 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the whole lean startup and all the other kind of principles and the buzzwords that you hear coming out of Silicon Valley workflows. But I mean, it probably will help to just say what the 12 principles are now. Yeah, so I mean, let, understand. Let, let's take a step back. So yeah, I mean, the, the there is a history of Agile and it, was, it did come out as software development, right? So you have a group of software developers and they were, you know, working within large organizations and they were really dissatisfied with how they were working together, right? And so they came up with this manifesto. It is available at agilemanifesto.org. And I think just, you know, to support the concept of Agile and also to support the fact that we are, you know, we have sort of built these processes off this, from this root, I'm going to just read the manifesto because I think it is important. I'm going to read it in its entirety um, just to sort of respect their original understanding of this problem and their original approach to solving it. Yep. Um, so I guess I'll just read it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> we are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. Through this work, we have come to value individuals and interactions over processes and tools working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, and responding to change over following a plan. That is, while there is value in the items on the right, we value the items on the left more. So now, you know, you and I and all the listeners at home are probably might be much better software developers, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, as part of my practice, right, I've taken this manifesto and I I just sort of molded it to be more about working within digital analytics, right? So um, the idea of like individuals and interactions over process and tools, that's, that's a really sort of lasting theme and I think it's I think it's like a lasting just general business and marketing theme that is that is sort of emerged from the 80s and 90s you know it's it's really about people um, over process particularly when you talk about the types of jobs that are um, that you know um, jobs which are intelligence based right and you know, when you talk about digital analytics, you, you sort of have these, also these themes that have emerged from thought leadership, right? Like the Avinash 90-10 rule is totally an individual and interaction over process and tool rule. Um, focusing on users over um, session metrics or page level metrics as your KPIs, right? I, I mean, the, the, the thought leadership has converged upon sort of this theme for a really long time. Um, you know, I, I also think that actionable insight over comprehensive documentation for the second principle there, uh, or for the second uh, leg there, it, you know, it, it's like, how much are we thinking about doing analytics rather than, or how much do we talk about actually doing analytics rather than actually doing it? How do we present? Are we presenting conclusions and actions or the work we did to get there, right? Um, what is what is the most important thing that we do, right? Are we giving weather reports or are we giving battle plans, right? And that's that's sort of how you have to approach the work. Third big leg is business and analyst collaboration over contract negotiation. 
um, you know, how are we working together? Like, how are we connected together in our work? How, how are analytics practitioners connecting to their business stakeholders? It's a hugely important thing. And it's not just, you know, that's not a one-to-one -one relationship. That's a one-to-many relationship that, you know, you can't be a successful analyst within an organization without yourself being matrixed at the same level that your organization is matrixed, right? I mean, nobody, nobody can be successful as a digital analyst and, and sit in a silo, right? It just it doesn't work out. You need, to be, you need to be as involved with the business as your stakeholders are, at least as aware of it. And then finally, responding to change over following a plan. And, you know, I think that that is a hugely important one as well. It just speaks to, like, are you lowercase a agile, right? Are you able to adapt to an ever-changing environment? And, and we all know, especially working, you know, on the digital side of things, that the environment changes really quickly. And your business can be disrupted in a matter of, you know, days or weeks, um, and you know, being able to respond to changes in that environment in a relatively rapid way um, is a competitive advantage for your business. So that's that's sort of like the the manifesto, right? And and sort of how I've interpreted the manifesto when it comes to my practice. Um, but you know, it's also applicable to a lot of the work that we do, right? Um, we as a collective here at DS. Yeah, I mean, I think the the last point you made is really a great segue into how agile kind of translates into digital marketing in general, and then yeah, why, particularly why it's so effective at digital surgeons is that um, you know marketing used to be much more static. Of course, as digital things change constantly, you have to create content very quickly, you have yep. to adapt to ever changing customers. So it becomes very important that you have these small kind of agile cross functional teams that can simultaneously adapt on the fly to whatever the trend is, whatever the technology need is, whatever the flavor of the week is, as it so often changes, you know, all it takes is Twitter changing something with their API and suddenly you right. have to massively change maybe a couple activations you have. So, I mean, really that's the first thing that comes to mind as we shifted digital surgeons really, because we've always kind of been agile in the sense of that we followed principles of the manifesto. But as we incorporate now more of the, well, as much as agile, favors individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Right. It does require, in our case, certain processes and tools that we implement in order to stick to the, the manifesto. So as much sure. as that sounds kind of counterintuitive, it really is how it kind of comes to life here. So, I mean, one of the main things I think, you briefly touched on this, but we can probably go a little bit deeper in, and it also helps when we talk about how you kind of onboard new clients, right. is focusing on product over project scope. So yep. instead of trying to explain the A to Z of what you're going to do analytics wise, that's going to affect them, just show them what the outcome is. It's that's like the so-called, you know, baby instead of the bathwater, whatever old folksy thing you want to plug in there. So, I mean, speak a little bit more about that and what, why you feel it's so important to focus on the product scope instead of the project scope. Sure, sure. So, you know, we, we, and I'll just sort of sprinkle these in throughout the course of our discussion, but you know, one of the, and I believe it's a primary principle, right? So, so Agile sort of has this manifesto and then derived from the manifesto and derived from, you know, this, this theory of work are these principles and the, and the principles give you a little bit more of a understanding of, of how, how if you're working in an Agile 
way how you want to be working, right? So long-winded, but the way, the, the primary principle is that you're satisfying your stakeholders through early and continuous delivery, right? And it's, it's, it's extremely delivery focused. Um, it, you know, all of our agile process, and you know, I think we'll get into some of them, are really focused on your outcomes and your delivery, right? And at the end of the day, when you're talking about analytics, you know, that's, that's typically delivery of actual insight, or in some cases, delivery of technologies or platforms to enable that insight, right? So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a really important thing that you're aligning yourself to delivery. And, you know, I, I think that some people might be listening to this and be like, well, of course, like, what, what else are you doing? But it, it's also an opportunity to step back, in, and we take this opportunity when we're, you know, developing our projects to step back and really say, what is it that we're doing, right? I mean, we're, we're very, very conscientious of describing the work that we're going to do. And we're also conscientious, and this is another agile principle, about describing the work that we're not going to do. And it's sort of like, almost like an Eastern philosophy. There's like a lot of Eastern philosophy stuff going on here, but it's like, how do you know what the work is that you're going to do without first understanding the work that you're not going to do, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, your, your primary goal is to satisfy your stakeholders through delivery. Um, another principle that is, you know, hugely important is that your primary measure of progress is that delivery, right? So, you know, in the case of analytics, actual insights grounded in customer data is the primary measure of progress. So you're not, you're not measuring yourself based on the amount of work that you're doing, right? You're measuring yourself based on your, what is coming out of that work. And I think that that's, that's also a pretty important lens when you think about managing yourself and how your teams are managing themselves, right? Yeah, it's like as our, uh, our founder, Pete Senna, always says to focus on outcomes, not outputs. Right. I know I'm certainly guilty of that when, you know, Pete asked me how a project is going or he works on it or something I'm working on. My first instinct is always to say what I've done, not what the end product is. So as much as it seems like common sense, I think people, if you really start evaluating yourself hard, you'll realize that that's a natural tendency is to focus on the outputs that you're putting and not exactly what the either business outcomes are or just even the deliverables. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, when it comes to working, you know, you mentioned cross-functional team before, which I think is an important aspect of, of how we work. But it, to take a step back from that, you know, let's talk a little bit about the interactions that team members have with our process. Because I think it's, I think it's, hugely, hugely important, and I think it is a way that, you know, certainly my team, but but all of our teams here at DS work together in a way that's that's pretty effective, and I, and I think this, this sort of goes a little bit to the spirit of the question in that, you know, let's say you're an outsourced team, you know, it, it, in our case, we might be dealing with, you know, a large company that is big, highly matrixed, right? So we might have a, you know, somebody within a business unit that needs some analytical support, right? Or some implementation support. They write up an RFP, right? That RFP probably isn't that good to begin with. That RFP goes to their procurement department. 
the procurement department does whatever they need to do to it. They budget it out. They put it out. And then, you know, it, we might have or, you know, another agency might have a business development person that responds to that RFP. And they might respond to that RFP in a, you know, we don't do this this way, but they might respond to that RFP in a generic way, right? And the team lead that actually, you know, they win the RFP, they win the business, then the team lead gets a download of what the actual scope of work is from the business development person and the RFP, you know. And you can see that there's just this huge chain of custody issue with the actual requirements of the work being done that is really not satisfied by that process, right? It's like the people actually doing the work get really far disconnected from, from the business need of the work getting done. So how do we, you know, how do we approach that? How do we address that? So uh, we... Uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say we avoid that game of telephone by using processes, something we call road mapping, to start with transparency. So the business stakeholders are immediately connected with the team members, as you said, who are actually yeah. doing the work, that they really, they're not looked at as, let's shelter them off in a corner and let the account people talk to the right. business stakeholders. Let's right. get everyone in a room at the same time and just kind of encourage through a process. Like I said, it's called road mapping, where we actually map out the stories and the end deliverables that are going to be. Yep. Reached. And then, of course, to your point before, that you also find out where the, as much what you're not going to do as what you are going to do with something called a blue line where you move stories on each side of that blue line, figuring out what fits into budget and how it can be scoped out, which right. is, of course, a whole another animal in itself to try to properly scope projects. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, the one of the fundamental difficulties, and this, this goes to everybody, like this goes to everybody who works anywhere, is that people are just awful at estimating their own ability, well not their own ability, but their, the, the time and effort that it takes to complete a project or a task, right? Even a, even a subset, the, the most atomic level task of a project, people are just awful at estimating how much time that actually takes, right? But yeah, to, to step back from what you were saying, yeah, and, and one of the, you know, one of these major principles of Agile is collaboration, right? So, um, you know, one of the, the, the actual principles is that business people and the people doing the work, which, you know, we refer to as the team, must work together daily, right? So, you know, in, in our case, in my team's case, it's business people, technicians, and analysts must work together daily. And that really goes to setting up how we scope projects and how we onboard clients, right? So the concept here is that our team members, right? So we've got teams that manage accounts, but we also have teams that actually do the work, whatever that work is. And we're bringing everybody together into a room face to face, and we are not just scoping projects, but onboarding clients, right? So we are onboarding clients with what we call seven sheets exercise, right? And what we're doing there is we're uncovering all of these key contexts that the team needs to develop their own work, right? Uh, I, mean, I mean, another huge principle of Agile is that 
you build a project, you build projects around motivated in individuals, right? And you give them the environment and support that they need and trust them to get the job done, right? I, another principle is that face-to-face -face conversation is the most effective method of conveying information and the most efficient, right? Yeah, I mean, that all fits right back into the seven sheets exercise. So yeah. just to really make it clear, so the seven sheets are going to be business context, purpose and goals, critical behaviors, the platform and approach, open issues, risks, and doneness. So the way that kind of exercise gets, um, you know, actually how it works so those seven sheets get put up in a room and we literally not, hang up seven, literally hang up seven, seven sheets, sheets, on seven the wall, sheets yeah. and we all whip out sharpies and normally these seven things might be something that's typically covered in the RFP that goes through the procurement department that goes to maybe the account uh, sign yeah I mean even the best written RFP gets you like 15 to 20 percent yeah. it's the team right I mean this is this is all focused on the people actually doing the production work so that gets the team, I mean, the best RFP I've ever seen maybe gets you to 20% of the actual understanding that they need to effectively execute that task. I mean, unless it's like a really simple task, but I'm referring yeah. to like a, a project that involves like multiple people over multiple weeks to accomplish, right? Yeah, so the seven sheets then replace that RFP that probably doesn't have everything that the people on the team working on the project need in the first place, right. that then gets pushed through the game of telephone. And it's instead of that, these seven sheets are up and the team themselves works to answer these questions. And the account person who is most closely connected to the business stakeholder, it, they don't just run the meeting and fill in these sheets themselves. They're more or less there to moderate and ask the team to fill in these sheets and to come up with the solutions. And then you bring the client in and you go through the whole seven sheets together so that everybody is onboarded and on the same page as early as possible in the process. Yeah, and, and, and the ultimate outcome of the seven sheets exercise is to provide, you know, I know, I know sheet, the first sheet is called the business context sheet, but really what the seven sheets do is they provide the business context that the team needs to organize their work and to develop their own scope of work, right? And to really understand what it is that they are making or doing, right? Yep, so to use like a very, very granular, easy digital marketing example. Sure. Say um, we're working with a brand on their social calendar. Okay. And I'm a designer who's designing social assets. And there's a seven sheets exercise done for our social campaign or whatever the activation looks like. So the end result of this is now I'm designing this and I understand the greater business context behind what's informing my designs instead of I just have maybe my account manager on the work say, hey, we need a June 15th asset. Right. So, I mean, that's just a very simple way of kind of applying this to now the person doing the work understands much more around why they're doing it than just getting handed something across their desk. Yeah, and, it, you know, and part of the idea here in, you know, sort of, probably one of the final principles I want to touch on is that all of these, all of these processes, right, and the processes are, are really, you know, they're totally fungible, right? The way that we practice Agile could be completely different than the way another organization does, right? But, you know, I think one of the more important things, one of the more important principles is that 
everyone involved in the project, right, or everyone involved in the work, should be able to maintain a constant pace indefinitely, right? And I think one of the things, so, you know, if I could put that another way, a normal work day or a normal work week is a highly productive work week, however you define either of those things, right? And, you know, you should be able to be at a high level of productivity indefinitely just working normally, however you define that. And I think the, you know, the point here with the seven sheets exercise is to really, it's really our first pass at being able to identify those potential issues. Like a project is, you know, a timeline is, is too optimistic, right? Or a project scope, the actual work involved to deliver that is too optimistic, right? Or too pessimistic? No, too optimistic. And so the idea here is that what, what we want to avoid as an organization is what's called a death march, right? So we want to avoid that sense that there's an ever-growing amount of work to be done the closer we get to the actual project deadline, right? I've been involved in a lot of organizations and in a lot of projects where that has that was not the case, right? Um, I think like the most notorious one is I worked on a web sort of redesign project in like 2008 with a company, and I mean, it was 2006, but it was a very large scale, you know, multi-million dollar large company was basically bringing their business online. And, it, you know, we had an outside agency, we had an internal team, and the project was so off kilter that we had to work 12 hour days, six days a week, and then Sundays was our easy day and we had to work eight hour days <laughs> for like an entire summer, for like four straight months. And we had you know breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day at the office, right? It's like I literally did not leave the office. And you know I could go into it even more, like I, I, I lived in DC at the time and I'd get out of work at like 9 p.m. every night and all I wanted to do was like get across town to my house and it was so late that I'd walk down into the metro station and I'd pay. I'd pay like three bucks or whatever to get in the metro station and I'd see the little sign that said like when the next train was coming and it was always like 17 or 18 minutes and I can't tell you how defeating that is, right? <laughs> and I would literally just like turn around and like go back up the, the escalator and like get a cab or just walk home. Right? Yeah, just so doing a like, Charlie Brown. I'm not gonna like <laughs> sit in the empty metro station at nine o'clock at night in my like sad clothes, like you know, <laughs> having worked a twelve hour day. And I also I also did a little math at the end of like my tenure at this at at the end of my like soon to be ended tenure at this job. And I figured that during that summer, the summer of like oh seven or whatever, I made like seventeen dollars an hour. Swear to God, that's how much money I made an hour. And, and that doesn't like, you know, factor overtime or whatever. And I was like, wow, like, I've, you know, I sat down at the end of it and I was like, wow, I really made some really poor, like, career and life decisions. Like, I should be, you know, like, $17 an hour, like, I, like, I could make a ton more money waiting tables, right? If I were willing to wait tables for, like, 90 hours a week, which is what I was willing to work at this job for. So, you know, those death marches happen, right? And, and, I feel like as, as an outsourced resource, 
we are more vulnerable to that than um, an insourced team, right? And part of the reason is that you know our clients are expecting us as they should to deliver something very specific. And it's really up to us to decide how we do the work, right? And I think that outside agencies have a little bit of risk when it comes to you know, this concept of death marches, right? And we also have this concept of the firefighter, right? And the problem is, is that when these projects go off kilter, you always have somebody that comes along and they're the hero, right? They're like the most competent or most efficient worker and they come along and save the project, right? And, you know, the problem with that is you become reliant on the firefighter to come in and save the day every single time, right? And you also become overly reliant as an outsourced company on having a firefighter or two on staff, right? And it's like, what happens if a firefighter leaves, right? So, uh, you know, obviously we want to be focused on our clients' outcomes, but to do that, we also need to be focused on how it is that we're working. Yeah, so that's ultimately why a certain amount of tools and processes do end up getting put into the process instead of just a blind, let's do sprints and you know, work in cross-functional teams, there does have to be some kind of constraints and rigidity around it in order to keep the firefighter from always saving projects and all right. the other problems that, you know, the death marches that come up and, um, you know, everything else. So, so I mean, that's, that's, the, that's like a, a kind of a long-winded answer, but I think it's, I think it's the answer, right? It's an, it's an answer, right? So I've worked in a lot of different companies with a lot of different project management methodology. I mean, at the end of the day, that's sort of what we're talking about here. I mean, we are talking about a philosophy and like a connectedness with your team and a connectedness with your organization and, and really perhaps most importantly, a much greater connectedness with your client, right? In our case. Um, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, this is a project management and a process management infrastructure that we've adopted, right? Um, you know, I, I don't know if we want to talk a little bit more about these structures, but, you know, I mean, I, I guess the, the whole point of operating the way that we operate is that we develop, you know, we develop a, we have a collaborative way of developing our work. And we're very, very mindful of how we work and how we work together and, and how we work individually. And there's a great deal of visibility. There's a great deal of accountability. And there's a great deal of collaboration in how we approach our work. And it's generally po very positive. So yeah. Yeah, and it really so, just... I mean, I, you know, a long-winded way of answering the question is, you know, how do you onboard new clients? It's like, well, you do it very thoughtfully. You do it with um, team collaboration as one of the more important things. And when I say team collaboration, I mean, you're bringing in the people that are doing the actual work and having them understand the context and scope the work themselves, right? Scope the product that they're delivering and then the project that they're actually executing themselves. And that's, that's really the short answer to the long answer. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> the, the, I think the agile principle that most kind of fits into what you're just talking about is 
really, at the end of the day, you want to provide the, envir the environment and the support and the trust that's needed to get the job done. Yeah. So something we talk about a lot when we were kind of, you know, onboarding Agile ourselves at our agency was just having empathy at the end of the day for both sides of it, understanding that the risk the client is taking on, yeah. understanding the risk that your own team is taking on, and really just trying to always flatten the room as much as possible and get people talking to each other face to face to really best understand and have empathy for everyone you're working with. So it's a kind of a cop out to say, you know, how do you best onboard clients, have empathy, but really at the end of the day, a lot of this centers around just ways to yeah. create shared understandings. And I think you I think you bring up a really good point. Like I think that when it comes to outsourcing work, right? As somebody that is within an organization that can't insource work, right, which is problematic in and of itself, but it's a present day reality, particularly, I mean, with most digital marketing work, right, but it's certainly a very present reality in analytics work, right? Digital analytics work, it's like you're almost forced to outsource because there's no talent yeah. in the, in the talent marketplace. Right, so what you're doing within those organizations, and I've been this person within the organization, is when you bring on an external resource, you're taking on a ton of risk, right? You are putting budget out, and if, if you are outsourcing a critical project, if that project fails or is challenged in certain ways, that's a huge career setback for you, right? I mean, you, you have potential to not get a bonus, not get a promotion, you know, depending on how high up in the organization you are. Um, you know, it's really risk to your career um, in, you know, varying degrees that, that you really don't need to take on, right? And, I, and I, I totally agree with what your assessment is. There's, there's a great deal of empathy at play here with this as well. And you know, one of the things that we try to do is we try to mitigate and lessen that risk to the individual in that position. And, and the way that we do that is that we are, you know, again, developing a full understanding of the business context and allowing the people that are doing the work to have full transparency with the business, right, with the, with the organization we're working with. And uh, you know, allow the people that are actually doing the work to create the work itself and the way that the work is being done. Um, so, you know, we have more accountability to individual team members, which gives our organization as a whole more accountability and visibility as well. So I like that aspect as well. But I think that's a great point. Empathy is, you know, and that's a core value of our or our organization as a whole. And this this process certainly fits into that in a big way. Yeah, like I said, we already kind of really, we were already incorporating so many elements of the Agile Manifesto that once we really onboarded Agile as our de facto workflow and that every project has to run this way, it really went relatively smoothly because yep. it really fits into a lot of the values and the kind of startup mentality that we already have in play here. Great. Well, I mean, I think that's plenty of time, plenty of talk about Agile. All right, great. So that was the sixth episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Are you sure that's six? I think that's six. So, so we're. F so when did we start? February. It must have been February. Yeah. 
So we, how many so, months? <laughs> I don't want to do the math and find out how frequently. <laughs> so we're like, it, we're faster than once a month. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, our plan is to do this every two weeks, but it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Especially in the summer. Yeah, admittedly. It's been, uh, it's been crazy, as always. <laughs> but anyway, thank you for listening. And if you have a question, please submit it to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash measured direction. Yep, you can also yeah. use the, uh, the hashtag measured direction if you want to uh, submit a question on Twitter. Oh, you yeah. can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at JT Rose. Tom is uh, at T-M-L-L-R. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. So feel free to, uh, you know, send us messages there or use bit.ly slash measured direction. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye.